Hello and welcome to episode 262 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. The story today is from the northwest of England and written by Hayes from Podcast She Wrote. Thank you so much, Hayes. And also on the 25th of this month, it is five years to the day since I released my first podcast. Five years. Before we start, I must thank all my supporters on Patreon and especially the new members of this exclusive club. That is Ryan Wilson and Steph Watkins. Thank you both so much for your support. This podcast has been brought to you by Popsa, the app that lets you make a totally original photo book in minutes on your phone. It's the perfect gift. Our friends at Popsa very kindly let me create a photo book, and it's awesome. I went with those most important to me, my wife and ch- Okay, you may not be surprised to hear, I chose our two dogs and seven cats, and I love it. It's such a high-quality product, and everyone that comes to our house have loved it too. And the fact I chose dogs and cats is the point, really. After all, lots of us create photo books for significant family and life events. The first time you listen to this podcast, or a wedding, for example. But Popsa want to encourage people to capture the less remarkable but meaningful moments which make us think of someone and smile. For example, a photo book made of photos taken from a family or friend's WhatsApp group, the lockdown homeschooling diaries, or any sort of road trip you've taken with family or friends. The opportunities are endless and they allow you to hang on to the moments that matter most to you so you don't forget a thing. After all, Life's best bits aren't the special occasions. It's the day-to-day moments and the time we spend with the people who mean the most. And you can add captions and storytelling to make it more memorable. Search for Popsa in the App Store or Google Play. Download the app and you can get 30% off your first photo book by using the code TRUECRIME. Would you like to enjoy some top quality wine for free? Oh yes, I hear you say. You are listening now, right? Even those of you who normally fall asleep to the podcast are now bolt upright in bed at the thought of free wine. Well, it's great news, as this episode is sponsored by Wine52, a monthly wine discovery club. They are so sure you'll love their wines that you can grab your first case completely free. All you need to do is go to www wine52.com slash truecrime and cover the postage costs of £5.95 and you'll get three bottles delivered right to your door. Wine52 don't just stock thousands of wines but they're expert wine tasters. Search out the most exciting wine regions and the top undiscovered winemakers in the world bringing them to your door. None of those evening trips to that dodgy garage or shop any longer. How does it work? Well, each month they send their members three wines, which you can customise to your taste by choosing from a case of white, red or a mixture. Also included is their magazine Glug, which brings you the story of the producers and insight about wine and travel from each region. After your free case, you'll be part of the monthly wine club. There's no minimum commitment, so you can try it and see what you think. And if it's not for you, just pause or cancel at any time. So remember, that's www.wine52.com slash true crime 
to claim your case today. Let's briefly set some context for today's story with our guest the month in the year game. The UK number one was Under the Bridge from All Saints. In the US, it was Next with Too Close. And in Australia, the top-selling album this year was Yourself or Someone Like You from Matchbox 20. In the news this month, Seinfeld's final two-part episode, the finale, aired on NBC to 76.3 million viewers, with commercials priced at 2 million for 30 seconds. Indonesian President Suharto resigned after 31 years in power. Referenda on the Good Friday Agreement were held in the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland, with 95% and 71% support, respectively. And in UK true crime news, nurses Deborah Parry and Lucille McLaughlin, who'd been convicted in Saudi Arabia for the murder of Yvonne Guilford the previous year, had their sentences commuted by the order of the king and were returned to the UK. Did you guess the month and year? It was May 1998. Today we look at two parallel cases from Oldham, Greater Manchester. I've only been to Oldham once and that was to watch Eric Cantona make his debut for the mighty Leeds United. He came on at half-time in a dreary 2-0 defeat, and by the time I got back to South Wales at about 3 in the morning, I'd barely warmed up from the wind that day on the open terrace. Oh, it was bitter. Enough about the weather, let's get on with today's story. In 1980, Graham and Jackie Singleton welcomed the birth of their first daughter, who they named Leanne. The family lived in Hollingwood, Oldham, where Leanne went to secondary school, gaining nine GCSEs. By 1998, Leanne was 18 years old and living in a flat in Hollingwood with her partner, Stephen Newton. On the 3rd of May that year, Leanne and Stephen were drinking in the Gardener's Rest pub on Hollins Road, Oldham, with their upstairs neighbour, 29-year-old Paul Stowers, and his girlfriend, Lindsay Duncan. It was just a normal early summer's evening. Leanne had promised that she would visit her great-aunt who lived nearby, so announced to the group that she was going to leave early. The friends said their goodbyes and Leanne left the pub. When this aunt later told her niece Jackie, Leanne's mum, that Leanne had not showed up, the family weren't unduly worried. It was the weekend after all and Leanne was 18, living independently and out with her friends. As we know, when you're 18, things often come up that disrupt the best laid plans, right? However, when Leanne's boyfriend Stephen called her parents at 11pm that evening to ask if Leanne was with them as she hadn't returned home, then this was different. They now immediately feared that something wasn't right and called the police to report her missing. Jackie later said of this time, It wasn't until that night that we started to panic. She hadn't turned up at my auntie's, but that was a time before mobile phones. We just thought she was out and about. Then about 11pm when her boyfriend called asking if we'd seen her, that's when everything snowballed. The police came really quickly. People were out looking, we were waiting by the phone, calling as many friends as we could, just anything we could do. As the police went about their inquiries, Graham and Jackie held on to the hope that their daughter was safe and well and there was a perfectly reasonable explanation for her absence. 
Every time there was a knock at the door or the phone rang, they thought could this be her? Perhaps she just needed a bit of time out or she'd met a friend and gone away for a couple of days. But when on Tuesday the 5th of May, Leanne failed to attend an interview she'd been excited about and very much looking forward to, Graham and Jackie were almost certain that something awful must have happened. Graham said, On the Wednesday I decided to head over to her flat, just to see if she had turned up. One of my mates from school shouted me over and told me police had found a body up the road. Right away, that minute I knew it was Leanne. I drove up there, and as soon as the police saw me, they grabbed me, pulled me away, and a police lady brought me home. Jackie said, It all went into a blur then. Jackie said, It all went into a blur then. I had visions that someone had grabbed her. Maybe she'd been stabbed, but I could never have imagined anything like what went on. Leanne would never have stood a chance against him. So what happened to Leanne after she left the gardener's arms that night? Paul Stowers, who lived in the flat above Leanne and Stephen, and who they considered a friend, had consumed a lot of alcohol and cannabis that evening. At one stage during the night out with Leanne and her boyfriend, Stowers had casually announced, I could just kill someone like that, and he snapped his fingers. He was looking directly at Leanne when he said it. Shortly after Leanne left the pub, Stowers also made his excuses to leave and followed Leanne for a while before confronting her. We will never know exactly what happened when he caught up with her, but we do know that Leanne Singleton went home with Paul Stowers that night. Whether she chose to do so or not can't be known for sure. Her mum Jackie said, We know that Stowers followed her from the pub but we still don't know where he caught up to her or how he got her in the flat. It's the missing piece. It haunts us. The timings we were given. We could have been walking past as it happened. When in the flat, Stowers subjected Leanne to the most horrendous attack. He strangled the 18-year-old with his hands. And then when she was incapacitated, he brutally attacked her with a monkey wrench. He then stamped on her already broken body so viciously that her liver was almost spliced. Realising his girlfriend would be home soon, Stowers cleaned up the flat and dragged Leanne's body to a back bedroom where he stored it in a wardrobe. When his girlfriend arrived home later, Stowers, having just brutally murdered their friend, acted like nothing had happened. Was he so callous and lacking remorse that Lindsay suspected nothing? It appears so, and she didn't think that anything was wrong. Once Lindsay left for work the following morning, Stowers retrieved the body from the wardrobe and proceeded to dismember the corpse in the bathtub. The body parts were put in black bin bags, which Stowers then left with the rubbish outside a house on a nearby street. It was the discovery of these bin bags that alerted Leanne's dad, Graham, that her body had been recovered. Police were unable to identify the actual cause of death due to the severity of Leanne's injuries, but it wasn't hard for detectives to quickly find enough evidence leading to Paul Stowers, who was arrested and charged with her murder. Stowers appeared in court in December 1998, and after pleading guilty, 
was sentenced to life imprisonment with a minimum term of 15 years. The only explanation he could offer for what he had done is that he was suffering from a personality disorder. Although, as of course we know, countless people suffer from personality disorders without resorting to such mindless and pointless violence. The minimum term imposed caused much anger and outrage, as it was felt that the level of violence shown by Stowers, coupled with his lack of motive or any remorse for his actions, made this relatively short sentence hard to understand. But then again, for a country with a justice system, which lets out offenders like Colin Pitchfork and thinks that sending people to prison for three months serves any purpose. What more can you say, really? It's broken, isn't it? But I digress. After serving 20 years of his sentence, Stowers applied for parole in 2018. Upon hearing this news, Graham and Jackie were appalled and immediately began a petition to keep him in prison assisted by their local MP, Debbie Abrahams, who said, After having met Gordon and Jackie, and listening to the details of the terrible trauma they and their family have been through, I'm doing everything I can to help them keep Leanne's killer behind bars. The police said at the time that this man would remain a danger to women for the rest of his life, so we have to do everything we can to make sure he doesn't get the chance to harm anyone else. On Wednesday the 18th of July 2018, the MP for Oldham West and Royton presented a petition to Parliament to try to prevent Stowers getting parole. But despite their best efforts, the 6,000 signature petition was unsuccessful and in September 2018, it was confirmed that Paul Stowers would be released on licence in November that year. On hearing this news, Leanne's dad, Graham, interviewed by local newspaper The Correspondent, said, I can't believe they're letting him out, what he's done. We can't get our heads around it. There was no way when Leanne went into that house, there was any way she was coming out. He was going to kill her. And then what did he do the following day? Put her in a bath and cut her up. There was also proof, apparently, he'd been practising on chickens, on cutting bones before he did what he did to our Leanne. I feel so let down by the system right from the beginning to now. It's totally wrong what has gone on. I'm getting a lot of feedback that a lot of people are afraid because he's getting out. Even my daughter, who is 18, is worried if he comes back into the area. For someone to do what he did, even 20 years on, it's still there in him. You can see him doing it again, that's for sure. He should never get out. All we know at the moment, he's due for release in November. I haven't given up yet, and I'm going to try and do everything I can to keep him in. The Secretary of State for Justice, Edward Argar, when asked to comment on the decision, said, blah, 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 oh, sorry, wrong bit. He actually said, while it would be wrong for me to go into the detail of the specific case on the floor of the House, what I can say about the parole board is that we will be taking steps to make sure the victim's statement read and used in these hearings. We are making changes to the victim contact scheme, including rolling out new training for victim liaison officers. We'll be doing that by the end of 2018 and making changes by the end of 2019. But on the broader point, we've consulted on the detail of a mechanism for parole decisions to be reconsidered 
in certain circumstances and we are carefully considering all the responses to that and will set out our next steps later this year. In addition, we are carrying out a review of all parole board rules, which will complete by the end of this year. There we go. So that's all right then. <sighs> the parole board. Any idea who sits on the parole board? Any idea what criteria they work to? I wonder if they do. Who knows? But it's real people's lives who've lost people who are affected by some of the ridiculous decisions they make. Pitchfork, prime example. Also following the fate of stowers with apprehension were the family of Janine Waterworth, for whom the case was eerily familiar. In the same year that Stowers murdered Leanne Singleton, there was a second murder in Oldham. 21-year-old Janine Waterworth of High Crompton was walking to a bus stop close to her parents' home in March 1998 when she was attacked by 28-year-old Paul O'Hara. Janine had been taking a shortcut through an alleyway when she was ambushed by O'Hara, whom she'd ended a relationship with just three days before. He stabbed her 12 times only stopping when the knife blade snapped. O'Hara left Janine dying in the pool of blood in the alleyway, where she was found by neighbours who had heard the screams and ran to help. But sadly, they were too late. O'Hara confessed to the killing, saying it was carried out in a fit of jealousy, as he suspected Janine was seeing someone else. Janine had, in fact, ended the relationship, due to O'Hara's violent tendencies. Like Stowers, O'Hara was given a life sentence, but soon he was out on licence after serving just 14 years. Janine's family were also distraught at this seemingly lenient sentence, and they also fought to keep O'Hara locked up, convinced that he would kill again. And tragically, this proved to be true. A year after his release, O'Hara was working at a second-hand furniture store in Lancashire, where he began a relationship with the owner, 40-year-old former beautician, Cherylee Shannon. A few months into the relationship, friends had noticed a change in Cherylee. She had become more withdrawn and reluctant to leave her house. And soon Cherylee was seen with bruises, a black eye and a broken nose, which she said was the result of falling down the stairs not once but twice. How many times have we heard this on this podcast? Eventually, Cheryl Lee told her mum that O'Hara had caused the injuries, as well as fracturing her jaw and threatening her with a knife. She was persuaded to inform the police so O'Hara's licence could be revoked. The police informed the public protection unit and removed Cheryl Lee from her home for her safety. And on the 1st of March 2014, Cheryl Lee was visited by Detective Constable Karen Kenworthy for a statement but denied that any assault had taken place. O'Hara saw his probation officer on the 12th of March and said he was concerned that allegations made against him would lead to his licence being revoked and he was advised not to have any contact with Cheryl Lee. On the 14th of March, the probation service made the decision not to recall him to prison as the allegations against him had been retracted, despite it being apparent that they were retracted under duress, as Cheryl Lee was clearly terrified of her partner. There was, however, a probation service referral for domestic abuse, and Detective Sergeant Damien McAllister 
and Detective Constable Karen Kenworthy visited Cheryl Lee at her home on the 17th of March to discuss the abuse and what, if any, further steps could be taken for her protection. But just minutes after their arrival, O'Hara, having heard of the visit, forced his way into the cottage, immediately attacking both the police officers and Cheryl Lee with a hammer. As the officers fought to restrain O'Hara, Cheryl Lee was able to escape and run into the street. O'Hara managed to get free and continued the attack on Cheryl Lee out in the street. She died from multiple stab wounds at the scene, much like O'Hara's previous girlfriend, Janine Waterworth. An inquest was held into the death of Cheryl Lee, which found that failure to recall O'Hara to prison was a contributing factor in her unlawful killing and concluded there was a lack of interagency management or the appropriate sharing of information. Not the first time we've heard that either, is it, I'm afraid? Cheryl's mum, Betty, put it more succinctly. Probation and police had all the information they needed to stop this, but they let it happen. We as a family have to live with that knowledge and without Cheryl Lee for the rest of our lives. O'Hara admitted the murder and the wounding and assault of the two officers at Preston Crown Court and was sentenced to 10 years for attacking Detective Sergeant McAllister and two years for the assault on Detective Constable Kenworthy to run alongside his whole life term for murder. This time, he was told that life would mean life and he could expect to die in prison. The lead detective on the case said, O'Hara is a predatory and violent individual who manipulated his victims, including Cheryl Lee, preying on their craving for love and attention. He has shown no or little remorse throughout this process, and his actions fully justify the sentence which has been imposed. Is it any wonder then that there were genuine fears following the release of Paul Stowers, who was also considered of high risk of causing significant harm to women? The parallels from the two stories, both from Oldham, are clear to see. Janine Waterworth's sister, Tracy, told the Oldham Chronicle how she felt about the release of Stowers. She said, It's just wrong, it's disgusting. My automatic reaction when I read about Stowers was that he would do it again. I feel so sorry for Leanne's family. It brings back lots of awful memories, of course it does. But at the same time, the justice system needs sorting so these people don't get released when they've committed such a bad crime. O'Hara did his 15 years, but as soon as they let him out, he did exactly the same thing. Time does heal to a certain extent, but that still doesn't mean what's happening with Leanne's killer is right. He'll be another one who does it again. Of course, I hope I'm wrong, but that's how I feel. It should be a life for a life at the end of the day. How can they let Stowers walk out when he's done what he did? The parole officers are supposed to be watching these people and how they're rehabilitating properly, but they don't. They haven't got the powers or the people to do that properly. It's difficult, but if you can kill somebody once, it must be far easier to do it a second time. Me and my dad have been quite tough, but my mum hasn't been. She's never been the same person since we lost Janine. To lose a child must be awful for anyone. You have to deal with it, but hearing stuff like this with Leanne's killer brings it all back. 
I don't know what Leanne's family must be going through just now. So let's forward wind to the most recent news we have. Stowers was released on licence in November 2018 after serving 20 years and despite Leanne Singleton's parents and others expressing concerns about his release. Thankfully, as far as we know, he has not been involved in any further violent crimes and will no doubt be closely monitored following the fatal errors made in the case of O'Hara. So what do you make of what we've heard today? The motiveless murder is one of the most confusing aspects of true crime and the devastated families left behind are left with so many questions. But mainly I guess it's just one. It's simply why. The answer is it seems to be that for whatever reason there are people who just have the urge to kill and their victims happen to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. I appreciate some people don't like to hear that wrong place, wrong time. They see it as victim shaming. I don't see it like that at all, do you? It's the classic sliding doors moments that can happen to any of us. You know if you listen to my podcast or see what I write that I'm pretty as anti-prison as they come and I think a lot of people shouldn't be sent to prison. We send way too many people to prison. But people like O'Hara and Stowers and Pitchfork Should we be letting them out unless we're absolutely certain? And can we ever be certain? Who knows? But let's finish this podcast on the most important thing. The lives of Janine Waterworth and Sherry Lee and of course Leanne too. You think that Leanne was just 18 years old when her life was cut so violently short. Just like the others, all that life to live and all those opportunities ahead for them and all taken away by the actions of Stowers and O'Hara. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story or any other aspects of UK True Crime, please head to the Facebook group where you'll be made very, very welcome. And if you'd like to support the show and keep the UK's 37th most popular true crime podcast host producing a weekly show, just head to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. So that's all for me for today for another week. So until we speak again, please do take it easy. And despite all the others, stay classy. Cheerio for now.